welcome to the simplicity of happiness when more is too much. This podcast offers tips and techniques for a better life. And before we start with another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness podcast, I would like to remind you that you can find out all about me and my thoughts on simplicityofhappiness.com as well as Patreon, where I am providing extra content for all of you who support me and the education of children in Africa. And now relax and enjoy the show. Well, hello and uh, welcome back to another episode of the Simplicity of Happiness. And I am thrilled that I have a guest where I was a guest before. So uh, welcome, uh, uh, Carlos and Suzanne. Hello. Hey, how are you? Good to see you again. <laughs> yeah. And if you are curious um, what they are up to, um, you can listen to their their podcast. Uh, have a look at their website. Um, I forgot which episode it was. It was published, I think, um, the week that we are recording this. I will link it in the show notes. So um, if you want to find more out about them, visit the website and the podcast. By the way, the website. It's called Carlos and Suzanne, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Who's supposed to know what you're doing if it's called Carlos and Suzanne? I thought it's a Mexican dance couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, it could be. Um, you know, we the, the, what we're doing is really based on the lives we've lived mm -hmm. and the experience we've had in our 26 years of marriage. So when we were looking at different URLs, you know, we really focus on what we call life design. And so mm -hmm. when we're looking at that, life design is kind of taken. And so we thought, well, Carlos and Suzanne is pretty unique. Let's go with that and then talk about life design off of that. Well, at least I knew who I was talking to. <laughs> There exactly. you go. Talking of, talking of life design, I see a very strange apartment behind you <laughs> yes. what's up with that well we had our we have four children our last one graduated from high school last a year ago and so we had had about we had spent about two years talking about what that, that was going to look like when we became empty nesters we had this <clears throat> large home that we had raised four kids in and half their friends. And I didn't want to clean it anymore for starters. And we just didn't use it. And I just thought it's just such a, just, it's a waste. Like it, it met our needs when we needed it, but now we don't need it anymore. So I knew I wanted that we wanted to sell the house. We just didn't know what we wanted to do. So we had talked about a lot of things and this of course was pre Corona And then we had, were planning to buy this little cabin in up, way upstate New York in the Adirondack Mountains. And so we put our house on the market and our house sold. And then the cabin deal fell through and we had already sold our house. So we had been, we'd been talking about getting an RV regardless. It's something that we love to do. We did it a lot with our best friends who also were our next door neighbors. And so we just thought, well, I mean, We've talked about buying any one anyway. Let's just buy it and we'll live in it full time. And so that's how that sort of came about. And we actually love it. It is small. It's easy to clean. And we've just had fun traveling and spending a lot of time together. And so, yeah, we live full time in a little 35-foot RV. And so that okay. is what you're seeing behind you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Talking of life design. Um, downsizing from a house full of people to an RV. Um, what what is the life design part about this? It it, it sounds like simplifying. Absolutely, absolutely. And I really felt that I kind of lived my life that way already. Not super materialistic. I'm, you know always felt like I was simplifying what I found out when I had to, you know, had about three days to clear out our house and get it on the market that we actually in 26 years, plus some of our childhood stuff, we actually did have way more stuff than I thought we had. 
And so I will say it was quite, I call it the great purge. And we did, (laughs) we did allow ourselves. We have a little 10 by 10 storage unit. We had, I have 10 by 10 meters, (laughs) um, 10 by 10 10 feet. feet. So yeah, I don't, know, so I don't about, know what that is in meters. So about three and a half by three and a half meters. Yeah, that's pretty small. And I would say that most of what we have is our is our kids. I have mm-hmm. tons and tons of photo albums, and you know, we had kids back in the VHS days. I had videotapes. I did have a bin for each of my kids of their childhood stuff that I'm holding on for them, but. So there were there were some things I can simplify, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw out all my memories of raising my children. So that stuff was important for me to keep. I just can't keep it in the RV. And then we had we pretty much sold or gave away everything. everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah, we did we did simplify, and I will say since that, in the almost seven months now we've lived in the RV, there hasn't been a day where I'm like, oh, I wish we had had that. Yeah. And so when people ask me about what do you love about what you're doing, I tell them it's the simplification of it. We just took only what we needed and it's been awesome. Honestly, nothing that you miss? No. No. I, I there's one thing and but I'll get those back in June is last summer I left three of my fishing poles in upstate New York when we were vacationing True. and our friends picked them up for us. But those are really the only things I miss. And in re- reality, <laughs> there's probably only been about four days I could have used them. But that has nothing to do with simplification. It's just my forgetfulness. Right. Yeah. And I might, there may be a, a couple of tokeny things that I thought, oh, you know, we just don't have room. I wouldn't bring it on board, but I would now. And then on the other side, we did bring stuff on the RV that I ended up getting rid of because it, we didn't need it. And so we are very conscious of anything that we bring in, something goes out. And, you know, I always figure giving things away to someone, if I'm not using it, the best thing I can do is give it away to somebody who will use it. Yeah. It might, it might be more about using than about owning. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, yeah. What is the I, most I, valuable item that you have with you? It can um, be two different ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it'll be different. Yeah, I, I say it's the one I wear on my finger. Um, it's this oh. ring. <laughs> because it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's more than just saying, hey, world, I'm married. Um, it is something that Suzanne gave me. What we talk about is our second marriage, and we are married to the same but two very different people. And so for me, this ring is a signification of redemption, of grace, of being able to start new, and really simplifying our relationship and saying both of us are now on a journey to health individually and also. Uh, corporately as a couple. And so there's just a lot of meaning for that behind me. So is, is it going to be the highest appraised item on the, on board? No, <laughs> but for me, it's definitely the most valuable. Okay. Yours is so nice. And yeah. It's going to be difficult mind. now for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, it's, it doesn't I, have to be the same. No, it's not the same. Cause actually I don't, I don't wear a wedding band, so it's not the same, mm-hmm. but um, I wear my, engagement ring on my other hand, but I, for me, it was bringing on all my, like, I love jewelry. I just love fun jewelry. I love fun earrings. And so I found a way to bring those on board because they make me happy and nothing of real value, but it's just, it's what brings me joy. And so, and the the funny thing is I don't really wear a lot of it anymore because of how we live life, but I, they're kind of all hanging on my wall and I see them and they just make me happy. So, and I like to think they make her happy because I gave her a lot of it. Absolutely. (laughs) That is very true. That is very true. I do have some pieces that are, have strong sentimental values. So, so if, if somebody doesn't know you and you're meeting for an intense, well, evening around the campfire somewhere <laughs> in a nice in a nice area and you tell them about well your life 
building and growing, well, as a couple, a family, a house, a well, company, then <laughs> waving the kids goodbye <laughs> because they, they, they grew up downsizing with the house. What is one lesson that you would others to remember? Wow. I, I would say for, for me, it's the lesson we learned is communicate, talk about everything. There are no secrets as a couple. And I wish if I could go back to my 23-year-old self when I got married and sit that kid down, that's exactly what I would tell him is if you're going to trust anyone with your secrets, the good, the bad, the dark, and the really ugly, which we all have, it should be your spouse. And if you can do that, if you can be that vulnerable and authentic in that relationship, mm -hmm. you stand a really good chance of having a thriving marriage. And so to me, through all of that, through our 26 years, it'll be 27 in September, uh, 30, if we count dating and just hanging out as college students, <laughs> I would say that that's the lesson is right there. Just be vulnerable and open the kimono of your soul to the person that you are married to. And, you know, I'm not responsible for how she responds to what I tell her. And she's not responsible for how I respond to what she tells me. And she's not responsible for my happiness either. But when you have that deep, intimate connection with someone, the chances of you having that just awesome life go up exponentially. Yeah. And I would say what, what you described in all that was intimacy. And that goes far beyond sex. And an intimate relationship is everything that you just talked about. And yeah, and I would, I would concur with everything you said and just being a good listener and being open and not holding someone else responsible. Like I'm a hundred percent responsible for 50% of this relationship. And yeah, I, I really don't have anything to add to that. I think that was pretty clear and concise. Well, maybe I'm going to draw a big circle and, uh, and come back to that question. Um, for now, I'm curious on what you do for what, the life design. Is that what you do for living? Is that how you pay your bills? Uh, <laughs> not well, that's how we pay some of the bills. So I am, um, I've, well, I've then let me, and let me go back one step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, moving out of the house, moving into an RV. Ooh, <laughs> I almost disappeared. Um, and well, working on the road, how did you manage to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it's been kind of a, a process that we have. I think we've pretty much nailed it now. Um, you know, in the, in the house, I had my office that I would go to. And Suzanne had to so where is it, where is it now? Where, <laughs> in the back of yeah, the it's here in the yeah. RV. Where we're yeah, it's, we're talking yep, right right front. Of, there's a little desk back here in the back of the in the back of the rig. Um, but yeah, we had to we had to figure that out. We had to have that process. Of course, there was a desk, so I was able to bring. You know, we were able to bring our laptops, and I have a monitor sitting right here. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, getting on phone calls or getting on Zoom calls with there's really only one place to go to not be seen in the background. Now, <laughs> I think with COVID, what people have come to realize is, okay, so there's someone in the background, big deal. It doesn't mean it, it, there's no less value from the call. Yeah. So yeah. we just had to kind of work through some things. So usually we start the day where I say, you know, we kind of review the calendars of, I've got this, 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 and this. And then it's kind of a 15 minute warning of, Hey, remember I've got the zoom call at this point. So I think we've kind of settled into something pretty reasonable and, yeah. and manageable. And I, I tell people I, I work out of an RV. 
So you're going to see someone in the background. Um, and most of the time, you know, Suzanne in, in the background has her AirPods in anyway, listening to a podcast. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal, but it's worked out well. And we have a couple of hotspots that we use to stay connected to the internet. So I don't think it's been that big of a stretch. I thought it was going to be bigger and it really hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be. Yeah. And so now I'm coming back to the last question, what do you do <laughs> to pay your bills? Yeah. So uh, I've been in marketing and sales for 25 years mm -hmm. uh, in business to business, B2B. Uh, so I do a lot of consulting in that arena. Mm -hmm. Still, uh, I work with several different clients. And then on the life design side, we have several coaching clients as well, where we are helping them work through how to design the life that they love to live every day, how to shed things that they don't need to hold on to, that they may have real difficult time uh, letting go of, how to get unstuck. Many people we talk to feel very stuck in life. You know, they've, they've pursued a career path or chosen a path in life that really they let life design them. And so we help them get unstuck. And once they get back to who they were created to be, they can realize that anything is possible. Can you give me an example? Um, I'll use like my what own. Is it, what is a typical client? And what do you typically do with them? And what turns out after you talk to them? Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, a typical client is someone usually, I would say probably 30 plus, who has lived some, uh, what I'll say, professional life. And it may be in a career that they're not enjoying, maybe in a job that they're not enjoying. And someone who's not saying, oh my God, I hate my life. What they're saying is, yeah, it's okay. And just okay means it's not very good. And they have an inkling that there's something better. So I hate to talk about a framework, a process, because every client is different. Every client comes with different needs. But the approach that we take is first, I mentioned getting back to who we were created to be. And what I find is that so often we wrap our identities up in things that don't matter. For me, for years, I wrapped my identity into my profession. And the higher I was climbing the corporate ladder or how my businesses were doing, then I was great. I was good. If my businesses tanked, if I had a bad month, if I lost the big deal, I sucked. Um, so what we, so we start with is let's get back to who you were created to be. Who yeah. are you at core? Once we define that, and sometimes that takes you know a lot of work. And we're not therapists, to be clear. But it takes a lot of work for people to embrace that core identity, the same one we had when we were kids, mm -hmm. and shed some of the veneer and the complexity that we've layered on as adults. From there, we can then yeah. start to explore, what is your purpose? Why are you here on this earth? And then how can you apply that purpose in your current job, in your current relationships? And oftentimes what we find is when people realize that they can apply that purpose and their identity in that profession, their whole perception of their job changes and they actually start to really love where they're at. There's also some who say, wow, I'm just I'm going down a wrong path. So then we say, great, now that you've understood your identity and your purpose, what gifts and talents do you have? So my purpose is to help people. That's it. I don't have like multiple purposes. I think we all have what Kelly Flanagan talks about is one note. My one note is to help people. I get to do that in my consulting and we get to do that in our coaching. So if my idea was to help people and I said, I want to go create great music in this world, <laughs> I would not be helping people because I suck as a musician and I have no musical talent. So we have to align our gifts and talents. And then we start mm -hmm. to identify opportunities. And some of the hard outcomes we've seen is coached a client who was running an agency, dogged tired all the time. He ended up selling that agency and within six months of selling has already met his earnout. We have another client who's increased his uh, revenue by 33% while he's working less. We have people who are saying, you know what, my relationships are better. My thinking is better. My clarity is better. Um, so it really runs the gamut, but we really try to work towards hard outcomes and define 
what does success look like to you? And then let's start at the bottom and work towards that mountaintop. Yeah. Yeah. I changed um, a while ago to, to mention that I'm a coach. And I say, no, I'm not a coach. Coaching is what I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's not That's who exactly. I am. Yep. And I'm doing it quite, and I'm doing it quite well. <laughs> um, nevertheless, I'm doing much more than coaching. So I, I am not a coach. It's, it's just part of my life. Um, and uh, now guess what my next question will be. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> who, who were the two of you as a kid? You said, yeah, I did. Coming, yeah. Back, to, yeah, the, coming back to mm-hmm. the one we were when we used to be a kid. So the true self. Yeah, I think I was, I was pretty precocious as a child. I, I enjoyed adults and adult conversation and um, was very just, I don't know, just very aware of, of, I was just who I was. And it's been interesting actually catching up with, I've been catching up with our travels with some really old friends, like have known me since elementary school. And it's interesting to hear somebody else's perspective about what you were like as a, as a child. And this one friend who, oh my word, we were friends from the time we were like nine till 17 when she moved away. And she was telling me about how in elementary school, she, we always sat next to each other and she, uh, you know, the teacher would have us read aloud and she always got stuck reading aloud after me. And she said, I hated that as a kid because you were so good at reading aloud. And then I had to follow you and I felt like I was so horrible at it. And then when, you know, it would carry on to the next kid and I would kind of reach out and tap her and be like, Becky, you did such a good job. And I thought, you know, I don't even, I don't, I have no memory of any of that. And I'm sure my intentions were, were pure. I was just a child, but for her, it was so like maybe a little patronizing and, and uh, where, I don't know, it was just fun to sort of hear someone else's perception of, of what I, what we were like as a child. I was a bookworm. I loved books. I lived a full life through reading, like reading just opened up everything. It's, it's every possible world of imagination you can, you can live out in your own head. And so books were a really huge part of my life. I bring home stacks of them from the library and just blow through them all. So that's probably the most significant thing about me as a kid was just the ridiculous bookworm that I was and how I, and I, I wasn't escaping a life. I actually had a magical childhood. I grew up in Southern California. I, we were outdoors all the time. I, I don't remember wearing shoes a whole lot. We ran around barefoot unless they were roller skates. So I had this really happy childhood. And so I, I feel like that just helped me. I was never, um, I just was who I was. I didn't, wasn't, I didn't succumb to peer pressure. I didn't, you know, I just sort of lived out who I was as a kid and felt very confident in that. And how does that match your today's life? Um, today's life, well, I would say what I, work with with women is that I lost that sometime during my marriage like I lost Suzanne and I got so caught up in trying to make life easy for everybody else and to make him happy and please him and then I had these four kids within six years and and no clue what I was doing I mean I loved it but I just I I put my my own identity and self-worth um, in the wrong things. And I remember sometime in my mid forties, sort of looking in the mirror and thinking, my God, I I liked, I liked you better at 22 than I like you at 44. I didn't like who I was anymore. And I, I didn't even realize how gradual the process of losing myself was because along the way I did have things that filled me up and 
and brought out who I was. Like when I was teaching, um, obviously raising my kids and yeah. So I think I I've circled back around, like he talked about to being that, that kid again. And that, and what did you precisely do? Uh, read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do actually, I read a lot of books. I did do uh, several different therapeutic modalities. I've done talk therapy. I've done neurofeedback, which was the most effective um, therapy modality for me. And I just work really hard at it. Like I, I let go, first of all, I had to let go of um, everything. And if that meant losing this everything everything what about him everything let go of of holding did did you ask what about me yeah we did like she she said let go of everything what about him yeah did you let go i did actually did for a while we separated for a while and i just i i knew i was attached i was holding those attachments too tightly and trying to you know, clinging to identifying with that. And so I did, I had to let go of everything in order to come back to the person that I was created to be. And yeah, that did mean letting go of, of Carlos for a period of time. What was that, that moment that you realized that you had to do something and that you can do something. Because right now you said you were looking in the mirror and you didn't like who you saw. And I I can relate to that. And maybe many of our listeners can, or at least some can relate to that as well. But what's next? How do you turn it around? Because there has to be, I, I suppose there has to be a shift in your mind when you say, Ooh, (laughs) Uh, yeah, did you see that sure. again? So yes. for the, our listeners, sometimes I'm disappearing in the background and then I'm all <laughs> tropical forest like this. Ooh, and I put up my hand. <laughs> so how, what was that moment when you um, I think it was, knew there you was, could do something? For me, there wasn't one moment. I know that I had felt stuck for a long time, like that I didn't have options. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was an excuse that I made out of my own fear. Um, that I was more prepared to settle and live this life that I really wasn't content in this relationship. It wasn't um, our relationship at a certain amount of time brought me more grief than it brought me joy, but I was like, just content to just, you know, ride the way. Go on. waiting for that magical someday when things would just magically turn around and be better. And so, but there was that someday is I'll write it in my calendar. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Right. It's not a day of the week, but there was a time when he actually threw out the word divorce to me and I was completely caught off guard. It, it it actually, it, for me came out of the blue and then I realized I was like that, that was kind of my first wake up. And that was my first realization of, I am not responsible for this man's happiness. And this is not a healthy marriage. And so I, that was my first realization. And that's when I first started going to therapy because I was like, I need to take care of myself. I need to figure out what's going on with me because I cannot control this. If he wants a divorce, we'll divorce. Like I have no control over that, but I knew that I had been lost and I needed to find myself again. And that sounds so cliche finding yourself, but it wasn't finding myself. It was going back to myself. And, you know, we still had kids at home and I was worried about that. So I knew what I needed to do, but I still felt trapped. Like. Mm-hmm. Okay. What? Okay. And the, but I'm also a very like task oriented person. So then I did start planning because I, it through that progression of six months or so, I was like, you know what? I, I don't want to be married to him. If this is, if this is the life that we're going to live, I'm not interested anymore. And it's the only one you have. Yes. Yeah. I'm like, he, you know, just who he was at that time. 
he was not a, not a pleasant person to be in a relationship with. And so I had to like, I came to this place of, yeah. And I remember telling him, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I think we should divorce. Actually. I think we should divorce. And then it was just an absolute, you know, and he can talk to that when his whole facade of a world came crumbling down around him that really lit the fire underneath me and just was like, yeah, I'm done. I'm just, I am, I want to be with someone who appreciates me as a person and loves and values me. And it, at that time, that's, you're not that person. You're not that person. And so, and that's primarily why we separated. Um, and yeah, well, and we- now I need to know what happened next. So you separated. Um, you 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 are leaving. You're leaving the guy that you don't want to live with, and mm-hmm. now you're sitting both in front of me. So something happened. right. Something happened. Yeah, I, I'll I, let you take that. I think a lot of a lot of things happened. Yeah, uh, and I, I think first and foremost, we we had to make the decision to get healthy as individuals, and we that's prime that's one of the main reasons we separated mm-hmm. um we also had to realize that we don't want to rebuild our first marriage because the first marriage was so dysfunctional and i want to be clear it wasn't you know we weren't like beating each other up or anything no. but emotionally just disconnected and so There's so many the, others mm-hmm. right yeah, we made the decision to actually bury our first marriage. Yeah, we we and, divorced. And, it just wasn't and legal. treated as a death. And mm-hmm. we actually went to this this place where we love. It's a lake, and we threw our first wedding rings in the lake as a kind of a ceremonial divorce and a burial. And it was really really emotional for both of us. Um, it was just sad. So we we, and then I, I can speak to me, Suzanne. I think did a good job talking about her process. Um. I had to realize that it's not selfish of me to want to get healthy for me and for no one else. And I had a therapist who said, if you're simply trying to get Suzanne and your kids back, I can't help you because we'll be here in five years. You have to do this for you. And at the time he said that, I wanted to slap him, but I'm (laughs) so glad he said it. Because it got me to realize that the most important person from a health perspective is me. And the reason is, is if I'm not healthy, emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, and relationally, then I can't bring the best of myself to my marriage. I can't bring the best of myself to my children, to my coaching clients, et cetera. So that was the big shift for me is saying, I have to get better because I want it. I have to get healthy because I want it. And I'm sick of living in a world where I'm stuck and I'm angry and I'm narcissistic and the list goes on. And so that was my shift. And we both did that individual work without the expectation of if I do these things, we'll get back together. Yeah, if you're not uh, if you're not in a good, in a healthy shape for yourself, you're either dead or an asshole. So yeah. <laughs> much, of, much of help to others. Um, yeah. Well said. How, how did you do that? Folk. Well, let me sort my let me sort my thoughts. Um, you're living together with a person that you realize you don't want to live together with. You're separate is the relationship, knowing that it was dysfunctional. Then you're on your own and you're not blaming the other one. How did you do that? Well, I, I'll be honest. I think for quite a, I want to say a couple of months at least, I was blaming her. 
<laughs> didn't work and, out. I guess. <laughs> and, and she was she was blaming me. Yeah. We just blamed each other because it's an easy scapegoat. Mm-hmm. If she had done all these things, if if he had done all these things, and actually for me, <clears throat> it was a uh, email. It was either an email or, or a text, but it was an email from my brother who, I mean, it was a long email. And at the time I did not want to read it. I I, I didn't want to read, let, let me put it this way. I didn't want to receive it, but he said, pretty much I'll sum it up. He said, you know, I've been walking through this with you for the last few months and every conversation we have, all I hear about is the things that Suzanne is doing wrong. And he said, I'm waiting for you to take ownership of your stuff. And he said, stop. Good brother. Yeah. He said, stop blaming Suzanne for the choices you made. Stop putting. And he said, start. And he literally said, grow up (laughs) and be a man and own your shit. And then I had a therapist who kept saying to me, don't focus on Suzanne. And what Suzanne just said, you're a hundred percent responsible for 50% of this equation. And for Mm -hmm. me, I'm a recovering control freak. So I did want to control her response. I wanted to control if I, if I pull lever a, then this is what should happen. And I had to let that go. And so it was, it was, no, 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 wait, wait, (laughs) Wait. you're saying this so easy, but I'm a, I I wanted to control this and uh, I want this to happen. And I, I wanted to control the response. Well, and I had to let go of this. It sounds so easy. It, no, no, it's not. It, 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 it's not. <laughs> How? not easy at all. <laughs> How yeah. did you let go of it? Honestly, Flo, I'm still letting go of it. Mm-hmm. And, and not so much in our relationship anymore. But what I've had to realize is this is not a journey. This is not a destination. This is not someday I'm going to wake up and say, I don't have any control issues. Now, I know, I know the origin of my control issues, which is helpful. Mm-hmm. But I'm also keenly aware, and and just recently, like I, I told Suzanne, we were in a situation, and I said, everything in me wants to just grab this thing and control it. So now I'm able to voice that where I feel it, because I feel it in my body. I feel it right here in my chest. And so the awareness of that and the ability to identify that is helpful, but to say, I don't ever overstep my bounds or get too far over my skis and control things. It is something that I realize I will probably struggle with the rest of my life. Now I'm getting better and I continue to get better. And Suzanne will also be like, babe, (laughs) you're trying to control this. Let it go. And you listen to me now when I say that. So (laughs) those are things that it's definitely not easy but it's it's recognizable and it took me months to get to a place to go yeah you're right i'm a control freak now being on that side of it of recognition and everything mm-hmm. the fact that i feel so much freer and lighter in in my spirit and in my soul when i do start to control and i feel that tenseness and i feel that angst it i'm like wow that just feels unnatural i don't like that and so i have ways to express that now but that's how can a lot you of work. how can you be m- more free when you control less i think you stop trying to orchestrate and dare i say at times manipulate the outcomes and when you go into life and experience with no expectation so here's a great example we went to, and I don't, I haven't even shared this with Suzanne. So last week we took a ferry, we took a ferry over to this island here and we're in the state of North Carolina. And so it was on the ocean and uh, we were told there's lots of sand dollars and wild horses. I grew up with horses, so I love horses. I've never seen wild horses in my life. All I wanted to do was see wild horses. It was like my seven-year-old self (laughs) wanted to see wild horses. We got to the island. There were probably, the winds were so intense that the sand was whipping your legs. Mm -hmm. The waves were huge. 
Um, it was cold. Suzanne was smart enough to bring a sweatshirt. I didn't. And the first quarter of a mile we're walking, my inner, I'm throwing an inner tantrum. This sucks. This isn't what we, there's no horses here. And I'm just, I, I'm having a pity party. And then I realized that I had built up this expectation that we were going to, you know, walk on this island and see 40 wild horses yeah. galloping <laughs> and, you know, the music and all this stuff. And I just had to say to myself, dude, let it go. You're here with your wife. You're experiencing something new together. So what? It's windy and you may not see horses, but are you really going to spend these next two hours in this state and ruin this experience? And so I let it go. The wind didn't stop. <laughs> we ended up, she ended up finding several sand dollars. And at the end of a one and a half mile walk down the beach, there were the wild horses. And I was so pumped. I was so excited. We came back. We had a great time, but I had a choice either continue pouting, continue being upset because your expectation was missed or just let go of the expectation and, and enjoy the here, the now, the experience and the presence. And even if we didn't see horses, it would have still been an amazing afternoon because we did something new together and we explored something we hadn't done before. The wild horses. <laughs> right. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. Um, well, about 20 minutes ago, I said, maybe I'm going to draw a big circle and we, we, we'll end up with the same question. And I, I just realized somehow we already did because we talked mm -hmm. about, <laughs> we talked about your job and what you're doing with life design. And now we unwrapped uh, parts of your, parts of your marriage. Um, um, so it was, a, I kept my promise. <laughs> That's right. Um, are you working with couples as well? Yes. Life design? We are. Mm -hmm. We are. And taking everything we've learned, the experiences we've had, and just really helping them saying, you guys can have a thriving marriage. It's going to take work. Mm -hmm. We still work really hard at our marriage. But yeah, we love to work with couples. And it's so much fun to see them make that progress in their relationship. And do you think that sometimes couples married because of the absolute wrong expectations and that no matter what they do, the best is to be friends and <laughs> marry somebody else. Yeah, I, I do believe that. I think it's, it's hard to not marry without expectation. And I know in, in a lot of the work we've done and read it, you know, there's a lot of people marry believing that someone's going to heal their wounds. And that right there is a, in a setup for failure. Yeah. And I yeah. would say subconsciously, that's what Carlos 100%. did. Um, yeah. He didn't the, do the it better, consciously. The better but, half of the, like, the, the partner is the better half of me. Like, no, 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 no. Nobody's, com nobody's going to complete you. Absolutely not. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in soulmates. I don't believe in someone completing me. I came to, I'm complete on my own. I came to this marriage as a complete woman. I didn't need him. And I still don't need to have him in my life. If he chose to walk away and we do approach our marriage differently now, I'm like you are free to go if you're, but it deserves a conversation. You're not free to go mentally however you left before without with no conversation. Like I deserve a conversation. And so even that we hold loosely. What I am I am happy with where we're at. I'm happy with where I'm at and we live for today. Do I have some expectation that you know we're going to still be together 30 years down the road? I hope that we are but we may not be, I don't know what, what life has around the corner. So no. I do hold things a lot more loosely 
than I would have in my past, for sure. We heard a we heard a phrase from one of our podcast guests, which we both loved, was when someone asked her husband, "You guys have been married twenty five years. What's the secret?" Because this lady is very independent, very uh, driven, and he said, "The bird cage, the door to the bird cage is always open." And we both love that, and that's how we approach our relationship. Is it, yeah, I would be so hurt and sad if Suzanne said, I want out. But she also knows, you know, we both know if that's what you want, as much as it'll hurt, then go do that. But yeah. don't stay don't stay in this for some because you have to. Yeah. 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 yeah I, I won't do that anymore. And and we also <laughs> agree that we are not responsible for each other's happiness. Happiness is a choice. Yeah, this is so closely related to leadership. Um, I'm, I'm doing a couple of uh, leadership classes and leadership groups at, at the moment. And um, it's so often when they are talking about their company or their colleagues, I feel like um, I'm doing a marriage co co consolation. Do you say that? Consolation? Counseling? Well, you know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> marriage advice, um, because so often they think leading is about telling the other person what to do. Mm. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's parenting, that's forcing, that's pressure, that's dictatorship. That's not leadership. Leadership means to be so clear and so consistent with what you do that the other people follow you because if you want to if you want to lead by pressure you always have to hold up the pressure and there are only two reactions so if somebody's pushing me to the side either i'm going away and then the pressure is less so i can feel free again so the other one has to raise the pressure raise the pressure or i'm i'm going to push against the other one and then you're going to have a fight so true yeah. leadership means basically leading yourself mm. in yeah. a way that other people want to follow you. And you just describe the same for the marriage. It's not about controlling the other one or keeping the other one in the cage. It's saying, no, 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 everything is wide open. You can go whenever you want to. Staying here, staying in the relationship, staying with me is a free choice because the yeah. two of yeah. us want it. Ah. That's <laughs> that's too nice to be true for for for, for most people. <laughs> well, um, I just I, I don't want someone to feel ob I don't want someone with me because they feel obligated to. Yeah. Because yes. we signed a piece of paper that said that you were. I don't want that anymore. And I felt for a long time he did stay because he felt obligated. I stayed because I felt obligated. And I don't. I want someone to be with me because they want to be with me. That's it. And if you don't want to be with me then a piece of paper does not keep you here. Well, and you said you said it's too nice to be true for everyone. And I think if you want it, it it's the reality is there. It's not, we're not anything special. Mm -mm. It's a choice, know? yes. It's yes. a choice. And you've just got to be, what I talk, what we talk about with people, couples, individuals that we coach is, you've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable to get to that spot. And if you're not comfortable with being uncomfortable, we can't help you much like my therapist told me when we first met. And so it's not out of reach for anyone. Mm -hmm. Is it nice? I would say it's beyond nice. It's awesome, but you're going to have to work at it. And I think the, our instant gratification culture right. says, Oh, well, it's been three weeks. How come we're not thriving? Well, you didn't, get to the place of dysfunction overnight, you're not going to heal it overnight. Yeah. And you, you can't, you can't bail when you're not happy immediately either. Like this takes no. a lot of work, but the, yeah. and the reality was we also realized it, even if we had divorced way back when, how long did it take you? How long did it take you to mess up the first marriage? <laughs> oh my God. Um, it didn't happen overnight, right? No, no it didn't it happen was, overnight. It was a long time. It was and it was over it was over decades. Mm -hmm. um, and, and like Suzanne said, it wasn't 
it wasn't just like one day our marriage just imploded. It was death by a thousand paper cuts. Yeah. Yeah. And this is how can you expect to turn it around? Exactly. Exactly. And you, and you still have to work at it. We, we were very clear that even if we had divorced at that point in time, if each of us did not work on ourselves, we would have just taken that same crap into another relationship. No question. If you don't, fix what's going on in your own soul. You're just, you can keep going from relationship to relationship, or you can have really superficial ones that last a year or two, whatever. And then it gets hard and you leave and you go to a next one. If that's the, you know, but yeah. if you yeah, but really want to do the, the hard, the, the absolutely. Your head, you're always keeping with absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it still takes effort and, you know, communication and constantly, you know, and still working on ourselves as well. One last, one last question for our listeners. Let's imagine somebody is listening who feels that, that he or she is in a relationship out of obligation. Mm. And would like to turn it around, but feels as if the partner doesn't want that. What is the suggestion for that person? How to start? Um, I would I would first start is, why do you feel so tied to the obligation? What is it? What is it that's keeping you there? And then secondly, the mm-hmm. okay, so the I kids, can I can understand that. So. Secondly, then say, approach your partner. And one of the things we've adopted in our communication, the, the before I get to that, the ability we have to create stories that are false narratives in our heads as human beings is jaw-dropping. We can create stories about the other person in a relationship that based on a a look, on a tone, on a statement. And we run with these stories. And by the time we're done with this story, it is this big, awful, scary novel. And so what I would encourage is go to your partner and say, I need to have a conversation with you. And I want to have this conversation. So I do not create a story in my head. I am feeling like we are in this marriage or staying in our marriage because of our children. Is that how you feel too? Okay. And just start the discussion that way. And we do that with each other. We will, I will approach Suzanne and say, I want to mention this. So I don't create a story in my head. (laughs) Yes, but (laughs) you already practiced that. And so, I, I completely, I completely, completely understand what you, what you are saying. I'm just um, playing devil's um, advocate. I, I right? have a conversation in mind where someone says, oh, "Yeah, of course," because the two of you, you already separated. You had your therapist, and then now you're coming back together on the same terms, and now you can talk to each other because that's part of what is the foundation of your relationship. But I didn't do that for the last 10 years. So if I start this now, I will scare the other one away. Nevertheless, you you gave a precise answer to my to my question. Well, yeah, well, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Again, like I talked about before, I started with me. When he first said divorce, I was like, well, he's clearly not happy in this relationship. I can't do anything about that. I don't know what he's going to do, but I know I can work on myself. And, and I didn't want to leave because of the kids. That was a, that was probably the biggest factor at that time. I still had two kids living at home and that was my biggest fear was, but I, so I just did the one thing that I, I'm like, what can I control? I can only control me. So Mm. I'm going to be the best me that I can be. I'm going to figure out how did we and me, how did we get to a point? where he said the word divorce to me. How did that even happen? It became, it shouldn't, if he said it, it shouldn't have been that big of a surprise to me. And it was. So yes. there was, we because were you created clearly, your own story in your mind. Exactly. We were clearly well, on two different pages. So 
Sorry. And I, I will say one other thing to, to your point of we did the work, we did the therapy. Being vulnerable like that for me is still difficult. It's still uncomfortable. Yeah, that's not how I'm wired. So early on, what we would what I would say to her and sometimes Suzanne will still say to me, and you can do this with your partner. I need to share some things with you. And it is really difficult for me to share this. It makes me uncomfortable. I feel vulnerable. And I'm worried about how you may respond. Mm -hmm. And that has nothing to do with you. It all has to do with me. I just need you to listen. I just need you to listen. (laughs) That right there tells your partner, I'm very sensitive. I'm, I'm up here. I know your audience can't see me, but emotionally I'm at a heightened level. And if you start the conversation that way, and I would say to Suzanne, this is, this is really uncomfortable for me. And it may be something that is so easy to talk about, but if you're feeling that in your marriage to have that conversation, if you truly love that person, you're going to have that hard conversation as difficult as it is. So those are just a couple of other things that you can employ that we did as we were doing the work and still do today. No. And just listen well. Like I I really try to listen to understand rather than listen to defend. Like if he's sharing something hard, I need to just this isn't about you. This isn't about you, Suzanne. It's not about you. Just let him share. It's not about mm-hmm. you. And yeah. so there were many things, and we've done that. I'm like, babe, this is not about you. I'm just sharing something with you. Take yourself out of it. And so it it was a lot of work and it there were some really, it was hard to mm-hmm. do it, but I had spent so many years staying silent and I'm not willing to do that anymore. And w- we just had to do it. If, if we, this thing was going to survive, we had to do it. And again, yeah. I figured I might as well take a chance on you ra- rather than just go and take the same crap to somebody else. Like I, you know, I'd rather give this a chance because we do, we did always love and care about each other and both wanted to make it work. So if you really want something bad enough, you will do whatever you have to do, even if it's hard and uncomfortable. A a coach of mine said uh, two, two things that are matching very well. What you, what you just said. One is, um, well, the, the most people are not listening. They are preparing their own answer. Absolutely. So whenever you as a listener of this podcast now, um, if you know any of these situations, be it your kids, your partner, your parents, your, your colleagues, if you want to give the other one a chance, ask them a question and listen to the answer without yes. preparing your next statement. And the other thing is the most toxic thing for a conversation is mind reading. Thinking you know what the other one actually meant to say. And there's only right. one thing that is even worse, and that is reverse mind reading. You know what I wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. So, be precise in what you say. Be precise in what you listen or what you hear, and then respond to exactly what. Oh, is what what I heard is did it did it did you mean that? Yeah. And this is bringing it down to to what you just uh, what you just said. Couldn't have said it better. Right. Well, um, so if somebody's interested in that. Um, they fi- I suppose they find uh, contact details at carlosandsuzanne.com. Mm-hmm. Yep, they do. Um, they can go there. They can submit. Uh, we are also doing free, zero obligation, no sales pitch, but 90 minute, up to 90 minute coaching sessions as a way to give back to help people. Mm-hmm. So there's a little button there on the, on the site, right on the homepage to, for a free coaching consultation, or they okay. can just email us as well. Yeah, perfect. And if, uh, if, if, if you like what uh, Carlos and Suzanne um, are openly sharing about their 
two marriages <laughs> <laughs> um, and you are not ready for a conversation yet you can listen to the life design podcast yeah. um, which has awesome guests <laughs> yes. and, um, well thank thank you for being so open thank you for being so much you <laughs> Um, I hope we have the chance, uh, some after Corona meetings somewhere around this globe. Absolutely. Um, and I hope to stay in, uh, in contact with you. We would like that very much. Thanks so much for having us, Flo. Really, really appreciated the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Take care. And you, my listeners, I talk to you in a week.